0: Well, good morning. Well, you heard, uh, you saw that video on the Panama trip, and uh, thank you, Isaac. And um, we had one of our students go on it. Her name is Gretchen Henry. And Gretchen is a senior at Lincoln High School. And as I've been continuing this series called Courageous, um, we have shared stories, people have shared their stories as to how God has helped them to be courageous. And I love this story from Gretchen because God helped her to be courageous as a senior at Lincoln High School. Listen to her story.
1: This past summer after Panama, um, Trevor came up to us and he said, okay, what's one thing that you really wanna take away from this trip? And one thing that I really wanted to take away um, was to be more welcoming to people and to let them know that they can come up to me and ask me questions about my faith. So that's kind of something that I set out to do this year. Um, And one way that God gave me courage to do that is to give a speech in um, my public speaking class about my faith. Um, So I did, (laughs) that was great, Um, and then something that was really neat was that I saw a direct outcome from it after um, one of my classmates came up to me and he was like, hey, like that was really cool, Um, I've recently been struggling with my faith. like tell me a little bit about the gospel, and so I had the opportunity to do that, which was really awesome. And then, that was only a semester class, and so then after the semester ended, now he's in my choir class, so I was able to kind of touch base with him again, um, which was kind of cool to see that follow through. So that was,
0: that was really awesome. Another thing I thought about as I was watching Gretchen, and I've known him for quite some time is, man, they grow up fast. <laughs> it seems like grow, grow, they grow up so fast. I mean, my own kids, I mean, you know, my son is twenty seven now. It's just craziness. I mean, I know I don't look that old. to have a 27 year old boy, but <laughs> I was thinking back, um, you know I was thinking back about twenty four years ago, Brandon's three years old. Allison, uh, she was not even a year old, and uh, we were living in Arizona at the time. I was going to seminary back then and and uh, I had I was taking care of the kids, and in the living room, Allison was just learning how to sit on her own, like you set her sit her up and she could sit there all by herself. And so I had a blanket out in the living room and some toys around her. And I just sat her down there. And Brandon was in the living room with her. And I had some stuff to do in the kitchen. So I go in the kitchen and I'm just doing whatever I'm doing. And all of a sudden Allison's crying. And I go in, I'm like, well, what?" I noticed that Allison was laying down. And I'm like, Brandon, did she, you know, what happened here? And he kind of looks at me and goes, so I set her back up and I put her toys around her and then she's happy again and I go back in the kitchen and uh, a little while later all of a sudden Allison starts crying again so I go, I go back and sure enough she's laying down again like she had fallen over and I said, now Brandon, what, what happened? I mean, you didn't push her over, did you? And he went, no. So I set her up and I go back in the kitchen and then I sneak around. Brandon doesn't see me, right? He doesn't see that I can see around the corner. And he goes like this, three years old. <laughs> Knocks her over. I'm thinking, what? I go, Brandon, what? Oh, he's stunned that I saw him, you know. And I, and I, I was like, what are you? What? I didn't teach him that. How does, it, how does a three-year-old child look me dead in the face and say, no, I didn't do it, but in reality, he, he did it? Well, as I was thinking about this morning, I got online and I've come to find out Toronto University did a study of 1,200 children between the ages of 2 and 17, and they wanted to figure out how honest children were. Get this interesting statistic. Children... By the age of four, 90% of them lie. Four years old, 90% of them lie. And then you'd think as we grow up, you know, that we would find ourselves, you know, understanding, okay, you're not supposed to lie, blah, blah, blah. But then um, University of Massachusetts did a study of adults and tried to test how well they do at telling the truth. And they had a number of test subjects, a lot of adults and um And they had a conversation with these adults. Get this, 60% of adults in this survey, 60% of adults, uh, cannot carry on a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. And the average amount of time that they lie is three times in 10 minutes. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I would be a part of the 40% that would always tell the truth. That's what everybody thought in the test, too. They were stunned. They were surprised. that they, they were pointed out as they watched the video, oh, sure enough, I did tell a fib. I did lie. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it's one thing for a little child to lie. I, okay, um, but adults, I mean, adults can get crazy with their deception. I mean, I have worked with some people that I am just blown away by the level of deception that they are able to carry out or try to carry out. I'm normally talking to people after it all kind of blows up, you know. Like, I remember a while back, there was a guy and he actually had two families. Like he was the husband and dad of two families and the families didn't know about it. Craziness, of course affairs, you know, there's always that deception and lying going on there. And when I was in Arizona, I, I um, was at a church, and there was a worship leader, and a great worship leader, fantastic musician, great, just tell, you know, they're really focused on the Lord. Come to find out, nobody knew this, the guy was soliciting prostitutes during the week, and then he'd lead worship on Sunday mornings. Deception deception well every one of us every one of us if we haven't already done so we will fall prey to deception and if you can't think of a time when somebody had deceived you or lied to you just wait because it's gonna happen every single one of us has been hurt by somebody else's lies Or we've hurt others by our lies. According to those surveys that I highlighted, we all are prone to deceiving and being deceived. Now, uh, of course, it's not God's will for us. (laughs) Of course. Um, And we're in this series entitled Courageous. And we head on into Joshua chapter 9 as we continue this series through the first 11 chapters of the book of Joshua. And we'll see in Joshua chapter 9, there was some major deception going on. And I hope that as we unpack Joshua 9, we'll gain some wisdom. We'll gain some wisdom on um, how to spot a deceiver. Uh, how 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 to see them for who they really are. And then secondly, I'd like us to gain some wisdom on how we can avoid being deceived either by others or even by ourselves. And then finally, we'll finish it up with the, the fact of the matter is we'll, we all will be deceived at one point in our life and probably more than one point in our life. And so how do we navigate that? How do we, how do we get through that? How do we make sense of our lives when we've been lied to? So let's start with spotting those who deceive. In the book of Joshua, we have already come from the place where Joshua was the leader of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was huge, like over a million people. And God wanted, through the leadership of Joshua, to bring them into the promised land. So the nation of Israel is on the east side of the Jordan River. And the first thing that he does is he stops up the Jordan River so this million plus people can actually pass through the Jordan River and to the to the west side of the Jordan River and where they would be in what God would say, this is the land that I promised to you. So they entered into it, and then God began to establish them in the promised land by um, having them have victories in two battles particularly, the battle of Jericho and the battle of Ai, or the battle over the city of Ai. And so here they are. They're in the promised land, and we pick it up now in Joshua chapter 9, beginning at verse one. If you have a Bible handy, that's fine. Follow along, that's great. If not, I have it up here on the screen as you can see here. Joshua chapter nine, verse one. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, that would be to the west of the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowlands and on the, all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite, which by the way, make a note of the Hivites. They're gonna show up again. And the Jebusite heard of it. They heard of uh, the victory over Jericho, the victory over Ai. That they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Now these two verses set us up for really the remainder of the whole series, all the way through chapter 11. These are kind of the the turning point in the narrative to help us understand what's coming. That there's going to be these battles coming up. But for this morning, we're not actually going to talk about a battle. There were these Hivites, like I mentioned, I highlighted there, who actually decided that, you know, I don't know if fighting the Israelites is the best thing to do. Maybe a better way to go at this is deception. Maybe a better way to figure out how we can handle these Israelites is by lying to them. By, by uh, pre- presenting ourselves as someone who we are not. Look at verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon, those were the Hivites, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they also acted craftily, uh, deceptively, and set out as envoys or as messengers and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal. By the way, mark that in your mind, camp at Gilgal. We'll come back to that. And said to him, to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? Good question. Good question for the Israelites to ask these Hivites. You see, if they made a covenant with them and they were in the land that God had promised to them, then the covenant would cause these people to actually occupy the land that God had promised to the Israelites. And so what God said is don't make a covenant with anybody in this land that I'm promising you. And so they asked the question, well, uh, how do we know you're not within our land? And they seemed to do pretty well at, at deceiving them. Even with that question, I think the Israelites were, were duped by their deception. So here's how we can spot those who deceive. First of all, they say what we want to hear. Those who are deceivers tell us what we want to hear. They, they want to make sure that, They've got our ear. Look at verse 8. But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. They're now on the west side of the Jordan. Those two kings were on the east side of the Jordan. To Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. We're not going to unpack all that happened there. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in Numbers chapter 21. But that's when Moses uh, was heading north and was on the east side of the Jordan River. And these two kings actually came out and attacked them in an offensive mood. Move. They totally uh, wiped those two off the face of the map. Let's just say. But you can kind of smell it in here, can't (laughs) you? Smells like butter. You know they were buttering them up, buttering up Joshua. I mean, and look at how they labeled themselves. Verses eight and nine. We are your servants. And again, in verse nine, your servants. Now, he wasn't saying, we're your slaves, you know, make us your slaves. That's not what he was saying. What, what, he was trying, what they were trying to say is, uh, we're on your team. We are for you, not against you. We're on your side. You, you can trust us. I remember back when uh, Jill and I moved to Arizona for me to start seminary. And um, we had car troubles. And we had just gotten into town we didn't know anything about anybody and so when you didn't know, you know where to go to help get some mechanical work done, we did what you did back then and that was you looked in the yellow pages. You know that big thick book that you open up and there's all these advertisements in it and uh, you know where do we go to get your car fixed? Who knows? And then there was this nice advertisement. It was Christian Brothers Auto Service. And they even had a nice scripture verse in there. And we thought Oh, I mean, how can you go wrong? Christian Brothers Auto Service. And so I picked up the phone and called. <laughs> and they answered and they were so nice on the phone. And sure, we, we'd love to help you. That, that's wonderful. Uh, welcome to Phoenix, the Phoenix Valley or whatever they said. Uh, just super nice, you know, and, and made us feel really warm. So we brought our car there. And uh, I, I've got to tell you, it went from here to here. I mean, I don't remember all the details. I just know I felt like I was being taken. Like they kept adding extra stuff and finding new things they had to fix. And, and they, they weren't really all that friendly. By the You know, they had my car. I was kind of stuck with them. There was nothing I could do. And I, I felt like I was way overcharged. I mean, it, it just, it was terrible. I remember ending that. Experience, thinking anytime time I see an advertisement for Christian something that's advertising doing work for me, I don't think I'm going to believe it anymore. I mean, they, they said what I wanted to hear. But it was deceptive. Yeah. And I think this is deceptive. Look at verse 9. When they say, Your servants have come from a very far country. Of course, that's a lie. That's blatant lie but then notice what they say next because of the fame of the lord your god Well, in a sense that's a half truth because they did know of the fame of the lord their god i mean they they talked about uh, you know what happened in egypt and all of that stuff but but they weren't actually praising the lord god of israel that's not why they said it uh they were trying to strike a chord in joshua's heart They're trying to make him feel good about what their view of, you know, what what his God is all about. They were buttering him up. What they were giving him was empty flattery, really. Joshua thinks they're offering praise. I mean, he's being deceived. And it's exactly what they wanted him to think. Because here's the truth about praise. Praise pumps up a person's self-esteem. It makes that person feel good. And it gives them hope in the future. Praise pumps people up and it it encourages them. Joshua, if he would have seen this for what it was, it was downright flattery. And he would have seen. They're really not trying to encourage him. They're trying to deceive him. They're saying what he wants to hear, all for the purpose of deception. And here's the second reality about spotting the deceivers. They actually end up deceiving themselves. It's true. Those who deceive, deceive themselves. Look at verse 11. It says, they're speaking and they say, So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country uh, spoke to us saying, Take provision in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants, now then, make a covenant with us. Now, I have no doubt that that is probably exactly what the elders told them to say. They probably said, take those provisions and, and, uh, and go and meet them and tell them you're the, you're the servants and ask them to make a covenant. I think they're probably quoting them verbatim. And I can picture them saying it. And then in their, in their hearts thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not actually... Lying, We're not lying. We're saying what they told us to say. (laughs) But the intention that they had was to look like they were off in the distance. To look like they had come a long way, which they didn't. And we have to be careful here. We have to be careful because remember statistically. Statistically, you and I are prone to deceive. And also... um, we are prone to deceiving ourselves. I remember back in high school, I, um, I actually um, had a class. It was an English class, and we were reading some of the classics. And I don't, I don't remember the exact classic, but I, I think it was of Mice and Men, the book of Mice and Men. We were supposed to read the whole book and then write a book report on it. And uh, I did what we did back then. I'm sure you didn't, but I did. I, I bought, the cliff notes remember those booklets here's what those cliff note booklets look like remember those some of you so i read the cliff notes and i wrote my book report based on the cliff notes and i turned in my book report and i thought to myself i read the book that's a book and it says of mice and men on it And I think I got an okay grade. And I thought, I don't think I did anything wrong. Other people do this too. No, it was wrong. (laughs) I was supposed to read the actual book of Mice and Men and write a report and that is not what I did. I think we've all been there. (laughs) Times when deep down inside, we know we're lying. But we say to ourselves, well, it's not actually a lie. I mean, not really. Yes, it is. Honestly, it's dishonesty. And it's wrong. And so we can spot the deceivers out there. But we also have to look in here and ask ourselves the question, Am I a deceiver? Because we can deceive ourselves if we're not careful. Well, the next thing we need to look at is how to avoid being deceived. How do we avoid it? Well, you know, so that we make sure that we're not deceived, either deceived by others or or deceived ourselves. A few things I just want to highlight. First of all, we need to stay in tune with the Lord got to stay close to him, stay in step with him, stay in tune with him. Those Hivites did the best they could to try and deceive. And Joshua and the leaders of Israel made a major error. Look at verse 12. This, our bread, was warm when we took it for our provision out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But, but now, behold, it is dry and it's become crumbled. These wineskins, which we filled, were new, and behold, they are torn. These, are, these clothes and our sandals are all worn out because of the very long journey. Lies, lies, lies. Deception, deception, deception. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions, and here's where they made their mistake. And did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. This, by the way is the central verse in the chapter. And this is the most important statement in this entire chapter. The last half of verse 14, they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. They didn't seek the Lord's guidance. Now as we're going along in life, there are... Thousands of things that can distract us. Thousands of things that can pull us away from seeking the counsel of the Lord in our lives. So many things that cause us to not pray like we need to be praying. That we pray first and not as a last resort. Things can distract us from spending some time in the Word of God. Having a steady diet of it. Not seeking that which is true. That this is our filter. Not being guided by what is true. Not growing in our understanding of it. To avoid deception, we must stay in tune with the Lord. The second way in which we avoid being deceived is we've got to be humble. We've got to stay humble. Look at verse 15. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. <laughs> you know why I find that peculiar verse 15? I find it peculiar because, like, the Israelites are barely in the land. I mean, they haven't established themselves at all. They just crossed the Jordan River. They, they just, you know, had two victories, but they're still camping at Gilgal, I mean, it's not like they've divvied up the land of the 12 different tribes and established themselves. And I think Joshua kind of got a little full of himself. I mean, you think about it. He's probably thinking, okay, we have been nobodies for so long. I mean, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. You know, nobody really, you know, gives us the time of day. And now we've got these people who want to make a covenant with us. First ones you know what? I think we're starting to be recognized for who we really are. I think we're starting to finally get the respect we deserve. And so I think he kind of got a little puffed up on himself and thought, okay, let's sign on the dotted line. I think it would be good medicine for us if we just review a verse out of the New Testament. Go with me over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans 12 and verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this. For through the grace given to me. In other words, it's not about who I am. It's not about how great I am. Not about me. It's about God. It's about how good He is. About how kind He is. How, how he, he, he just gives us grace. This is why I'm telling you this. I say to everyone among you, Do not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so is to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. By the way, that measure of faith isn't like, well, you know, John, you you get one cup of faith. And um, Larry, I'm going to give you two cups of faith because you're a little further along than than John. Is it Eric? Doug! Doug, I'm going to... Oh, Sorry! Doug, my bad. Doug, I'm going to give you three. Three cups of faith. Because you're so kind to me when I miss your name up. God would never do that. I want you to know. He'll never do that. No, it's not about quantity of faith. It's about quality of faith. Quality of faith. It's like the Lord saying, I want you to have a richness of a relationship with me. I want you to have this richness of relationship. So stay in tune with me, Jesus is saying. Stay close to me. Stay humble with me. Don't drift away because I don't want you to be deceived. One more way in which we can avoid being deceived is move slowly. Move slowly. I think Joshua and the leaders moved too quickly on this one. I mean, had they sought the Lord, okay? They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. But had they sought the Lord, let's say they went to the priests and said, hey, you know, we got to ask the Lord. These people, they want to do a covenant with us. They want to, you know, have us make a promise to them. Not, not sure. Uh, and they sought the Lord. They, they went to the priests or they even stood before the Ark of the Covenant and they sought the Lord. That's, that's representing the presence of God among his people. And let's just say that God was silent. Let's just say that God didn't answer right away. Because he can do that, he doesn't necessarily not, you know, he doesn't have to answer. Well, they didn't have to hurry into this. They could have just waited. There was no reason to rush. Yet I think they went too fast. I realize there's a time to act, and we can't constantly be dragging our feet, and never getting anywhere. I understand that. If the old line I think is true, time will tell. Time will tell. People's true colors will reveal themselves over time. The truth will come out over time. Those who deceive are pushy. (laughs) They want us to make a decision now. They want to sell us what they're trying to sell us now. Come on, let's make a decision right now. We want to avoid being deceived. Move slowly. But let's face it. The reality is we will be deceived. It's a part of the fallen world that we live in. And what do we do when when that happens? So let's talk about dealing with being deceived. Back in Joshua 9, verse 16. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Oh, truth comes out. Okay, now they know they have been lied to. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and uh, Chepherah, thank you, and Beeroth and Kiriath-Jerim. Now let me just help us understand where those are at. Um, Here's a map for us. And um, on this map, I'll point out Gilgal. This is where they were camping out. This is Jericho and Ai, the two cities there to the north where they had conquered them. And then they make this three-day journey over to Gibeon. Now if we zoom in here, they will see these four cities circled in pink. Gibeon, Cherif, Chepherah, uh, Kiriath, Jerim, and Beeroth, those four cities. Those are the ones that had gotten together to come up with this scheme to uh, lie to the Israelites. And uh, if we jump back into our text in verse 18, it says, The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. By the way, therein lies our first point when it comes to dealing with being deceived. Grumbling doesn't help. I think we have a tendency, when we've been deceived, our knee-jerk reaction is to grumble, is to complain, is to be, you know, doesn't help. Second point is this, don't add insult to injury. Don't add insult to injury. Look at verse 19. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that wrath will not be upon us for the oath which we swore to them. The leaders said to them, let them live. So they became hewers of wood. That means woodcutters, before the internal combustion engine and the you know, electric stuff. So they had to cut wood by hand and drawers of water for the whole congregation just as the leaders had spoken to them. The eggs had been scrambled. When eggs are scrambled, you can't unscramble them. So what they were saying is, okay, we, we, we made a mistake. It was wrong of us to do that. But a second wrong won't make it right. Two wrongs don't make a right. It would only make things worse. You see, breaking an oath is always wrong. To keep an oath was to show the world the sincerity of God. Although they deceived us, God never deceives. And as representatives of God and before him... We made an oath that we would not lay a hand on these people, on the Hivites. And therefore, God's name is on the line here. We will not defame his name. We have been lied to. But for God's sake, we will not lie. We won't add in insult to injury. I have a saying that I believe in. It's this, I think it's true. It's for best results, stir the pot as little as possible. If there have been mistakes made along the way, don't keep trying to stir the pot. Slow down, be careful with the next move in order to not make it worse. Like Joshua in the Israelites. To deal with the hurt of being deceived, don't add insult to injury by making sure that we don't defame the name of our Lord Jesus. Don't do something because they did wrong to us. Don't do something wrong to them. Make sure that, that Jesus is honored in our lives. To deal with being deceived, third, we have to seek the truth. Always be on a pursuit of the truth. That's what Joshua was doing. Look at verse 22. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us? Saying, we're, from a very, far, we're very far from you when you're living within our land. Joshua asked a point blank question. I just want to know the truth about this. Now therefore you are cursed and you shall never cease being slaves both hewers of wood and jars of water for the house of my God. So they answered, Joshua, and said, behold, because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Finally, the truth comes out. That's the truth. Verse 25, now behold... We are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Finally. Now, okay, now. We know what's going on. To seek the truth. Be curious. Not condemning. Lean into whatever seems not quite right. If it doesn't, just doesn't seem right, don't lean away from it lean toward it and ask questions James the half brother of Jesus uh, I think he has some good wisdom for us in James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 he says this every one of us every one of us must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God when we've been deceived if you're like me and I bet you are we can become quite angry we can can lash out we can want to get even we want to put those liars in their place but James says slow down take a deep breath seek the truth Be curious, not condemning. For we're trying to achieve the righteousness of God in all of this. In order to deal with it, when when we've been deceived, we have got to have tenacity. You know, persistence. It's a passionate commitment to seeking that which is true. And then when... It's unveiled before us. Then we must have the courage to accept what we find and to move forward in alignment with that when we've been exposed to that which is true. Even if that truth corrects us. We thought it would correct all of those out there. But maybe it's to correct us. Well, finally, to deal with being deceived, we must act righteously and justly. This is what Joshua did once it all came out. Verse 26. Thus he did to them, that's Joshua, and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation for the altar of the Lord to this day In the place which he would choose. Although he made them the lowest status, the slaves among the Israelites, they were still among the Israelites. And uh, I think that the Hivites here were like another memorial for the Israelites, you know? They'd be going along and doing their thing and all their time as they're settling in the new land. And they'd see the guys off there cutting wood and they'd say, Oh, that's a reminder. Or they would go and, uh, you know, they'd see him carrying the water to one place or another, and uh, there's another memorial for us. It's a memorial that what we didn't do is we didn't seek the counsel of God, we didn't do it God's way. And let's remember from them from here on out to do it God's way. See, they were deceived, but that wasn't the end. That wasn't the end. Joshua acted righteously and justly. And when we've been deceived, we have to do the same. We may want to retaliate. We may want to get even. We may want to lash out. But God's way is the right way. And the counsel of Joshua chapter 9 is to do it God's way. The next time we feel like we've been deceived, I hope for all of us, I hope for all of us that God will just prompt our hearts to remember Joshua 9. To remember how we're not the first people to be deceived. I mean, it's happened. It's happened in the Bible even. And then we can bring to memory the wisdom that Joshua 9 lays out for us. And we don't have to you know, lack hope or lack trust in the future, we, we can say, you know what? God brought them through it when they were deceived. And I know He'll bring me through it too. And I can trust Him. That's what I hope comes to our mind the next time you and I have been deceived. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for... Thank You for the wisdom of Your Word Thank you that it doesn't skirt around difficult things that we face, but it speaks to them. Thank you for how relevant it is to us. And Lord, we pray that as we live out this life, and no doubt we will be deceived by others and even by ourselves, that Lord, you'll continue to draw us into your truth. That you'll lead us into all truth as you promised in your gospels that you would. That you'd grow us in your truth. That you'd set us apart for your purposes according to your truth. That we would live for your righteousness. Yes, Lord. Thank you that... For many of us here, you brought us out of the lies we were living and into your truth, and now you just want to keep us there. So help us to stay close to you today and every day. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.